0: Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should should seem to come short of it. Promises. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject landmark promises. You may be seated. Thank you for standing In case you were not able to be here Sunday or if you're watching online tonight, you can go back and listen to my message on in search of a landmark from Sunday where I gave a lot of information about landmarks in the Bible. I'll not take a lot of time tonight to review all of that except to say landmarks in the Bible are just not iconic places to visit famous buildings or incredible natural wonders, but they were boundary markers for property landmarks tell you what is yours and what is not. Tonight I want to explore how to take possession of what has been promised to us by God. That spiritual territory that God has promised to us needs to be possessed, needs to be walked out, needs to be claimed for the glory of God. The Bible said in the book of 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, that He has given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by them we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption which is in the world through lust. We have promises that God has given us, and by those promises we are partakers of God's divine nature and everything that He has given us to possess in this life. Hebrews 4 and 1 is is an interesting verse. And it is a bridge between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Tonight, I told my wife, as we're kind of getting ready to leave the house, I said, tonight is a four-week Bible study wrapped up into one lesson. So, I hope you have your mental tennis shoes on and follow along. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of us. Short of it, he tells us, that there's something that's been left. It's like unclaimed freight. There's a promise that is on your front porch and you need to go outside and claim it. So he told us that there is a specific nature to this promise. So I want to do justice to the Scripture to talk about this specific promise and then the application to all the promises of God, hopefully at the end. He said this promise was a promise of entering into his rest. He tells us that we should fear, lest we should seem to come short of it. That we should therefore fear, therefore fear. Now, you've heard me say this before, maybe. I learned it in Bible college in Old Testament theology that when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to see what it is There. It always refers back to something that was just said that gives context. It's dangerous to take a text in the Bible, like an isolated verse, you know, like you just kind of open the Bible. That's happened to me before, but that's a terrible way to live your life, you know. And uh, you know, for example, you're trying to get a sermon and you just kind of flip through the pages and you find in the Bible, oh, Judas went out and hanged himself. And you close your Bible and you open it up to another place, to another verse. And that verse says, go thou and do likewise. (laughs) Those two verses do not go together. Every scriptural text has a setting, has an audience, has an interpretation, many applications one interpretation. And this promise is about entering into his what his rest. And but he says therefore. So let's we want to go back and see what it is therefore. And in this passage, the writer of Hebrews, if I ever mistakenly say the apostle Paul, I've mistakenly said the apostle Paul. Because we do not know the name of the author of the book of Hebrews. I want to say it's Paul that it would make it easy. But theologians have debated it forever, so it's just better to say, you know, the writer of Hebrews. But in chapter 4, in verses 1, 6, 11, 14, and 16, he says, therefore, over and over again. And he wants you to keep looking back, keep looking back, understand the context of this text, because there is a specific meaning. In Hebrews chapter 3, it's going to demonstrate the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to the calling that God had given him. Now, does anybody know the key word of the book of Hebrews? Better. Everything about Hebrews is about a better this, a better better blood, a better priesthood, better promises. Everything in Hebrews is written to help us understand that when we contrast the Old Testament to the New, that everything we have in the New Testament is better than what they had In the Old Testament. And Jesus, as good as Moses was, as faithful as Moses was over his house, Jesus Christ was better. So we're going to go back. We're going to go through some passages in Hebrews and also in the Old Testament to get the context of this. Hebrews 3 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man who was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. There are several places in Hebrews where we're admonished, encouraged to hold on. Don't cast away your confidence that has great recompense of reward. Don't be like those who give up, but those who lay hold to the promises of God over and over. This verse 6 sets up what comes next, that the Lord wants us to be faithful to the end. Verse 7 of Hebrews 3, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day is in the provocation In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Now, it's interesting that these Old Testament people, with everything they saw, their hearts were hardened. I heard one time, read one time, and it's really true, that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. It's the same sun. And the same word of God that convicts and draws some people to God may become a condemning factor. Some people receive the word of God and others reject the word of God. But the word of God is the same. It is universally the same. So it is really up to the receptivity of our hearts whether our hearts are hardened or softened by what we receive or hear when the word of God is preached. So he said, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Verse 10, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do all way err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. For those of you that enjoy studying the Bible, not just reading the Bible, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95. Something that was written... After the 40 years in the wilderness, after they were in the promised land, it is sometimes attributed to David, and that may be debated somewhat, but it is a reference back as it is said in David. It may be a psalm of David or speaking generally of the Psalms. But this passage, Hebrews 3, is a quote from Psalm 95 about the hardness of Israel's heart. They tempted the Lord. In other words, they were never satisfied with what he provided. Remember when it rained manna? That precious, you know, we call it angel's food. When they got it, they said, all we have is this dumb old manna. Now that's the John's translation, dumb old manna. We want flesh to eat. So he sent quail so much that the Bible said it ran out their nostrils. Yeah. They were always complaining. It was never good enough. He was grieved with that generation. He said they erred in their heart. They did not know his ways. And the Lord determined, you know what? People like that are not going to inherit my promise. Now I'm using the phrase landmark promises not just because I'm talking about landmarks in January, but the promises that God had given them were boundaries of Canaan land. So they were promises that were inside the boundaries that God had promised all the way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham and repeated again to Abraham and to his lineage after him. So I'm going to go back and spend some time in the Old Testament to see just what the Lord had said. I mentioned this on Sunday, but after Abraham had separated himself from Lot, The Lord said, I want you to stand and look north, turn around and look south. Look east and look west. That's north and this is south in our church. And he said, everywhere you can see, I'm going to give it to you. And then remember later he said, I want you to walk through this land. the length of it, that would probably to me be north and south. And the breadth of it, east and west. Well, I don't think Abraham had to put his foot down on every square, you know, centimeter of land in Canaan. But he was to walk from one end to the other and side to side. And as I mentioned Sunday, one commentary said that it was a way of Abraham legally taking possession of that land that God had promised him. I mentioned the boundaries of Canaan land that the Lord gave them very specific boundary markers that everything he would give it them. And it was very strategic, of course. And then the Lord told Abraham, your people are going to go for 400 years into bondage and they're going to come out with great substance and then I'm going to give them this land. For 400 years, this was their promise. They went down into Canaan land, 70 souls, the Bible said and when they came came up out of Canaan land and they were numbered they were 600,000 men strong plus women and children and most people would estimate the the population of Israel at 2 to 3 million people and all can you imagine them camping and you know taking their tents down and moving through the wilderness this was a a city of people You think of the rock that flowed in the wilderness to them. That was a lot of water to feed them. A lot of manna, a lot of quail. When they left Egypt, they spoiled the Egyptians. After all those centuries of serving them, when they left, God paid them for all their labor, fabulous wealth that they took from the Egyptians. And then in Numbers 13, we're right on the border of the promised land. Moses says, Twelve spies, one from every tribe. Go over and spy out the land and tell us what it's like. So they went and they saw giant clusters of grapes. Beautiful cities and vineyards. And they came back after searching the land after 40 days. And ten of the twelve spies brought back what the Bible calls an evil report. It was a negative report. And they saw the land that flowed with milk and honey. They said, the problem is the people of this land. Their cities are walled. They're the children of Anak. They're like giants there. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. And they are stronger than we are. By the way, no matter what God has ever asked you to do for Him, it's bigger than you. It's stronger than you. If you can ever do it in your own ability, then you don't need God. So when God calls you to do something that is harder than you can accomplish... Bigger than you are, you ought to just say thank you Jesus because when it is done, I know it will be you. Well, they were comparing themselves to the people instead of those people to their God. And so they come back with this report. The land eats up the inhabitants. They're great in stature and all of this. And when they brought back that report, all of the congregation of Israel, Numbers 14 and 1, they lifted up their voice and they cried and they wept that night. Terrible They murmur and they're, they're sad And then they start Complaining against the leader And against Moses and Aaron And the whole congregation They said this You know what We wish we would have Just died in Egypt Or that we would have Died in the wilderness Can you believe That God's going to let us Go into this promise And he's going to let us Die there Now if you go back And you read the story In the Exodus That they were mourning to God and the Lord said, I have heard their cry, they're weeping, they're being whipped, the toll of bricks has been increased, they've removed the straw, they've got to go gather their own straw. It got worse and worse and worse before it got better. By the way, it usually does. That's for free, I guess. Anyway, and then he said, but the Lord has brought us into this land to fall by the sword. And then he said this, that our wives and our children are going to be a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to just return to Egypt? Let's go back and tell Pharaoh we're coming home. Make us slaves all over again. Let's go back to what we would say, the world. And they said, let's get a captain. We'll get rid of Moses. We'll elect somebody. And he's going to lead us back there. Now, for all of the doubters, the Bible said, that Moses and Aaron fell on their face. And Joshua and Caleb, you know, were those of them that went. They spoke to everybody, and they tried to speak faith into them. And they said, it's an exceeding good land. And if the Lord will delight in us, He will bring us into the land. Now, I know these verses are not on the screen. I didn't want to overwhelm you with all of this, but this is Numbers 14, now I'm in verse 9. Joshua and Caleb said, don't rebel against the Lord. They're going to be bread for us. Don't be afraid of them. But the Bible said, the congregation said, let's kill Joshua and Caleb. Let's kill the voices of faith. We don't want to hear that we can do it because we made up our mind to go back. The glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it, they, before they believe me, it err before they believe all the signs and wonders that I've shown to them. Imagine seeing the ten plagues of Egypt. Imagine walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. Imagine the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. That was supernatural every day. Manna, supernatural every day. The water in the wilderness every day. They were surrounded by the miraculous. And they still doubted God. So Moses interceded to them. Numbers 14, 12 through 19, he tried to get God to change his mind because the Lord said, you know what Moses, just stand back, I'm going to kill all of them and I will start over with you and I'll make a great nation. Whenever you think God really needs you, this is a good verse to read. (laughs) So the Lord said, okay Moses, I'm paraphrasing in a big way, I pardon their sin. All the earth is going to be filled with my glory These men that have seen my glory and my miracles and have tempted me now these ten times, they are not going to see the land. They are not going in. Except for Joshua and Caleb because they believe me. Then he said to them, Tomorrow, Moses, I want you to turn your way and go back into the wilderness. I mean, they had been so close to the promises of God. But because of unbelief, because they could not imagine that God could do it again, they They had to turn back and go into the wilderness. Now, they tried to stone Moses. They tried to find another way. You know, they were going to, then they tried to say, well, you know what? Let's just go ahead and go into the land on our own. And that worked out really bad because you can't do it without the Lord, right? So anyway, the Lord tells them, Numbers 14, 29, your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. All that were numbered to you according to the whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, Dallas you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein save Caleb the son of Jephthuna, and Joshua the son of Nun but your little ones remember they said oh we're so worried about our wives and our little ones they're not going to be able to do it it's too much for them but the Lord said the ones that you were using it as an excuse for your faithlessness he said I'm going to bring them in and they are going to know the land that you have despised But as for you, your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. Your children are going to wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms. Isn't it terrible that sometimes the children have to face the consequences of the parents' bad decisions? I'm not talking about generational curses. I don't really believe that that's accurate. But the consequences of parents are carried on in their children. They've got to live with the decisions that we make. And the number of the days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, you're going to bear your iniquity, even 40 years. And you'll know the breach of this promise. And the Lord said, I'm going to do this to the congregation. And all this old generation of faithless people are going to die. After 400 years of anticipating deliverance. And I was thinking about this. You remember the story of Joseph. When Joseph is dying in Genesis chapter fifty. Joseph tells his brethren, I am dying, but I want you to make a promise to me. Swear to me that you will not leave my bones in Egypt. When God delivers you, and He will, I want you to carry my bones up out of this place and bury them in the promised land. And Joseph, 110 years old, they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt. When they came out with a high hand and great wealth, when they crossed the Red Sea, I don't know who had the coffin of Joseph. But someone carried the coffin of Joseph through the Red Sea. And for 40 years they carried his coffin around in the wilderness. And the Bible says in Joshua 24, 32, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, Buried they in Shechem, and a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Amor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Now, that's, I don't know, there's a sermon in there somewhere. Now, there really is. The faith of Joseph. Can you imagine carrying that coffin, knowing that one of your patriarchs had believed that God was going to do this, And you stood on the brink of the Jordan River ready to go over. And you said it can't be done. So now you've got to carry that coffin 40 years before you go in. Now, this whole unbelief of Israel is an incredible thing. An incredible thing. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to walk through just a couple of more passages before I kind of get to Hebrews 4. Um, But in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers, everybody please say all. All All our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And by the way, there's a typology here about the cloud and the sea. The cloud representing the spirit and the, the sea representing water baptism. God didn't just randomly and we didn't randomly say go get baptized receive the Holy Ghost God has always had a plan and he set it up all throughout the Bible they did all eat the same spiritual meat they all did and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ you know the typology of the rock Was that the first time Moses was to smite it. And the second time the Lord said speak to the rock. And Moses smote it again. And for that one act of disobedience he did not enter the promised land. Because the typology is that the rock was Christ. And he would only be smitten in death once. And if you smite him again you lose the promises of God in your life. So. God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember Aaron and the golden calf. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed sexual immorality and fell in one day 23,000 people. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them were tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for our ensample. And they are written for our admonition upon whom whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Paul is saying, I want you to understand that your pedigree doesn't matter to God. Obedience matters to God. And those people with all of those promises because of their disobedience, because of their immorality, because of tempting God, because of everything that they did that is named in 1 Corinthians 10, they lost the promises of God in their life. It's interesting that in the book of Jude, verse 5, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Jude wanted us to know that there is no such thing as unconditional eternal security. On God's end, your salvation is eternally secure. But on our end, we've got to make sure that we stay in a right relationship with the Lord. He will never go back on His promise. But as Israel did, they went back on the promises of God. So Hebrews 3.11 says, So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. In other words, he's kind of bringing all of this together. And I'm trying to kind of show you the picture of what Hebrews 4.1 says. God has given us a promise. And we don't want to be like the people of the Old Testament who had everything going for them except faith in God. Hebrews 3.12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. Everybody please say, "If." if. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. It's great to come out of Egypt. That's what this whole story is about. Hebrews 3, 4, the entire Old Testament, writing about how people did not please God with faith. But you've got to maintain your faith through every trial and struggle and temptation, disappointments, things that you don't understand, don't like. The Bible said... In Deuteronomy chapter 8, that he took them through the wilderness. He tried them to see what was in their heart, to see what they would do. He humbled them. He tested them so he could bless them or do them good at their latter end. Verse 15 of Hebrews 3. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So you kind of see how this all fits together. Hebrews 3, 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom sware he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now all of that leads us to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. But but I want to kind of bridge to get there. I said this in the beginning, but there's a specific promise of entering into God's rest. That's the promise that the Lord made them. And it was the rest that God had when He rested on the seventh day. And His rest is a perpetual rest. He ended the creation work that He had done. And The rest that God had promised Israel was the promised land, that they would no longer wander around, that they would have a permanent dwelling place. That was His promise. And for us, the rest that God has promised us is really probably multifaceted. The Bible said that the rest is the Holy Ghost, that when we receive the Spirit of the Lord, we are filled with the rest of God. I believe there's a second component of that, is that when we walk in the Spirit, we receive a rest from trying to please God by what good things we do, by our own ability or energy. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And when you give up trying to do good just in your own ability, and you learn to walk in the Spirit, the Bible said, if you will walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I believe that there is a rest that comes when you quit living your life dueling with the devil and you start walking in the Spirit God gives you a spiritual dimension of power in your life. The Holy Ghost is the rest and walking in the Spirit is an extension of that rest. But then verse 9 says that there remaineth the rest for the people of God. And ultimately our rest is a place called heaven. Amen. Amen. That is the promise that God gave us, and so Hebrews four and one. Let us therefore fear, and the fear is not a phobia; it's a legitimate fear, because the promise that God has given us of entering to the rest of the Holy Ghost, the rest of walking in the Spirit, but ultimately the rest of going to heaven. If we miss that if we miss that we have missed everything. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. Now I want to give you some key principles in chapter 4 and I'll fill in a couple of blanks that are not these key statements just so we go through the passage. But if you have your Bible, you can look at Hebrews 4. I want to give you the things that He gave us that I think are keys to making sure that we don't come short of the promise that God has given us. Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, In them that heard it. So here's the first thing. When you read the word of God, read the word of God with faith. Because everybody in Israel heard about Canaan land. They knew it was the ancient promise to Abraham. But when they heard the word of God, instead of saying we are well able to go take this land, we can do this. They focused on every obstacle, every impossibility. They focused on their own inability. They did not have faith in God. It is true that we walk by faith and not by sight. Every day, all the way from here to heaven. And so when you hear preaching, when you read the word of God, when you see the word of God or the Lord brings a verse to you, have faith in God that what he said he is able to do. You've got to mix this word with faith. There are people who study the Bible, read the Bible, are theologians, but they don't have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. So the first thing we need to do is mix with faith. Verses 3 through 6 kind of lead us there. And it's somewhat of of a rehearsal of this old rest, how that the Lord rested from his labor, and that those who obey Him are going to enter into their rest. Verse 6 is this last statement. Seeing therefore, it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, enter not in because of unbelief. What are we going to do? And verse 7 tells us. Everybody please say, act now. Again, He limited the certain day, Saying in David, everybody saying Psalm 95. Remember this is a quotation of Psalm 95. So he does this back with Egypt and Israel rather in the, in the wilderness. He repeats it in Psalm 95. And David he said today. After so long a time as it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts. So This is quoted over and over and over. But here, here, is the, here is the important thing. The Lord gave Israel a window of opportunity. And they said, we cannot do it. And then the Lord said, alright, you don't have faith in me. You're going back, wander in the wilderness for a total of 40 years. And then they said, no, we're going to go. The Lord said, sorry, the door's closed. Window of opportunity's closed. You're not going to do it. So, you know... All of us deal with procrastination. Tomorrow's always going to be a better day than today. We're going to get our act together tomorrow at another season in life. Because you're so busy now. There's so many complications now. There's so many impediments to getting, you know, getting your act together now. All of us can find a way that tomorrow seems to be a better day. But you know, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to believe God. And that is the injunction of this passage that you have to act in faith now because every day is a day of walking by faith and not by sight. Verse 7. Again, the second injunction that is in verse 7 he tells them, Do not harden your heart. If you think about all of Israel in the days of Jesus, these are the people with all the promises. They had advantages that Gentiles did not have. They had history, they had the Bible, they had prophets, they had great leaders. They had every advantage possible, but they did not have faith in God. When Stephen is being stoned, he tells them before they put him to death, you are just like your fathers. You always harden your heart. Jesus said, this very same thing that throughout your history when you've had an opportunity to receive the promises of God instead of opening your heart to God you harden your heart against what God was saying in your life. And this verse in Hebrews is not written to Israel it is written to all of us. To make sure that you always have a tender heart toward God that you're never hardened in your heart. That you don't get calloused. It is true people who have been in the church a long time it is true of older churches in general we can kind of get complacent settle in it's too commonplace we expect the Holy Spirit to move among us we expect God to come but we need an open heart that is never hardened, that is never calloused to the presence of the Lord verses 8-10 through our transitional verses again about entering into his rest and God ceased from his labors. Look at verse 11. Let us labor. This is kind of paradoxical. Let us therefore, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So the writer of Hebrews says, it's important That you work at this. That you have faith in God that every day you're walking with the Lord. That you never get complacent. Specifically Hebrews 4.1, Hebrews 3 and 4 is written to Hebrew Christians in the New Testament church age about not letting the same thing happen to you that happened to Old Testament Israel. And everything that was written then is applicable to today. So in our walk with God, here in January, there are some boundaries and there are some landmarks. There are some things that God has promised us. And we don't need to go into this new year. We don't need to look at all the things we can have. But we need to be diligent to say that everything God has promised me, I am able to possess in my life. There are promises that have been left to us. So let me just name a few of them outside of this specific passage. There is the promise of the Holy Ghost and people that have not received it can receive it in 2019. I thank God for the hundred and so people who received the Holy Ghost in our ministries in this past year. But I believe that every hungry hearted person in the world can receive the Holy Ghost. We want to have an environment in our church that we embrace that promise. That every person that walks in our doors, we believe that if they will repent, God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. And if we believe that, then there needs to be an environment of worship and praise. There needs to be lively altars where people can come and there's an atmosphere of worship. There's a catalyst of the Holy Ghost. Amen historically in the last number of years, we've seen a continual flow of people receiving the Holy Ghost. But there's been a little bit of a lull in that. You've heard me talk about my passion for the glory of God. When I talk about the glory of God, that's what I mean. I want the visitation of the power of God that starts with people being filled with the Holy Ghost. That is the promise of the Father. That's what Luke 24, 49 says. That's what Acts 22, 39 is about. It is a promise that is unto you and your children. There is a promise to the church that we would have power over sin and over Satan. And in your life, we need to embrace that promise. I know in the Christian community, there's a saying, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I understand what they mean by that. Except for the grace of God, I would be a sinner. But I cannot find a biblical example where people who have been saved are still called sinners, saved by grace. For the Christian, sin is the exception, not the rule. We are overcomers. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are redeemed. We're regenerated. We've been made new. We're a new creature in Jesus Christ. So don't ever let your identity be that you're a person who lives under sin, under the dominion of sin. You've been set free by the power of God. So walk in that liberty. In 2019, I encourage you to claim the promise of God to have power over Satan and power over sin in your life. I believe the Lord has also given us spiritual power. According to Mark chapter 16 and so many other passages in the Bible, he's given us power over all the power of the enemy. Believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. Believers lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Ghost. Believers do things that the apostles did and Jesus did. And Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these because I go to my Father. I believe that God has gifted his church and we should embrace those promises. We shouldn't be like Israel that said, that's way over there. That's for just a few people. That is for me, whether I'm a preacher or not a preacher, whether I'm a young person or an old person or a man or a woman. I have power in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. I understand the five-fold ministry, the governing body of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but I do not believe that supernatural demonstration is limited to those elect people or special people. It is believers that are in power. It was a believer named Ananias who baptized Saul of Tarshish. It was a believer named Stephen who did great miracles and wonders. It was a believer named Philip who went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. It's believers like you that on your job and in your neighborhood can be empowered by the Holy Ghost. And this is a promise that has been left to us. And I don't want to fall short of that. There is a promise of abundant life. You know, it's a lie that's being foisted on Christians. Those of us who live a separated life, a godly life, are somehow living a subpar life. Because there are boundaries. There are things that we possess and things that are off limits. Maybe in a couple weeks I'll talk about that. From the Garden of Eden to taking Jericho There have always been prohibitions that the Lord gave us to test our faith in Him and our obedience to Him and our willingness to trust Him when it may not make sense. Jesus has offered the kingdoms of the world but He refuses it then so He would have it all later. There are always no trespassing signs to what God does not have for us. But Jesus said, I came to give life and that more abundant came to give you a better life so don't ever get up in the morning and feel that you can have a less of a life than someone who does not know Jesus Christ we are, have been given the promise of life more abundant and then the Lord has given us the promise of joy there are too many joyless Christians letting ever your moods be dictated by circumstances or by the weather But if I read the Bible, He has given us joy unspeakable and full of glory. And one of the fruit of the Spirit, one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And even in tribulation you have joy. Amen. So it's time for us to get back in touch with the promise that God has given us that we live above the depression and the darkness of the day. We live above the news, above whatever the economy may do. We live in an abundant joy that our names are written in heaven. We're not going to be the people who are beat down, dragged down from here to heaven, but we're going to go in love with Jesus Christ and full of the joy of the Lord that is our strength. There is the joy, the comforter, the Holy Ghost, the paracletus, the one who comes alongside of us to walk with us through life. And no matter what you may face, in 2019, if you have the gift of the Holy Ghost living inside of you, He goes alongside you through everything you face in life. There is the promise of peace. Jesus said, "Peace I leave with you; my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled; neither let it be afraid. Let the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace that is as a guard of your heart, that daysman, the umpire, to give you direction in your life." It is the peace of God that can keep you when everything is crazy on the outside. Don't let, don't be robbed of peace. Because I believe all of these components, the promises of God, and so many more that I've not tried to list tonight for the sake of time. They're an extension of entering into His rest a place of relationship It makes us a different people than the people who have no hope. And ultimately, when the writer of Hebrews said, there remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. That rest that remains is heaven. And no matter what else happens on this earth, good or bad in your life, sometimes people do better in bad times, than they do in good times well, the apostle Paul I want, to shed, I want to show you a mystery we shall all sleep not all sleep but we shall all be changed our corruptible is going to put on incorruption our mortal is going to be putting on immortality and when this happens then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written that death is swallowed up in victory Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? We have the promise of heaven. Amen. I thank God for the promise of the resurrection of the dead. John 21 and 1. In the end of the book of Revelation, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, neither shall there be any more pain. Anybody live in pain? For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me right, for these words are true and faithful. He said, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh, shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he will be my sons i want to be that person who inherits the promises of god would you stand right now and would you lift your hands and lift your heart and say lord i don't want to fall short of what you had promised me i want you to embrace embrace it right now embrace it right now in your spirit embrace it right now in your heart there are some promises that he has given us that's it just lift up your hearts to the Lord right now worship him worship Him and say, Lord, I'm making up my mind that I'm going to enter into my rest. I'm going to, I'm going to inherit the promises of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.